grow up uh, and be able to go out uh, and do the things that the Lord has for them. Well, we've come together to worship. That's why we're here. So let's take a moment now and prayerfully prepare to hear the call of our great God as he invites us to ascend the mount in the righteousness of Christ. Let us worship our wonderful and glorious God as we hear from him now. I invite you to stand if you're able, as we all stand in reverence in our hearts to the Lord. As he ushers us into his presence to come and worship from his word, as we read in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, the beginning of a song of David. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him, sing praises to Him, tell of all His wondrous works, glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Do just that. He'd give us hearts that rejoice as we answer this call this morning. O Lord, we come now to You, our rock and our redeemer. And we ask that, that as we come, that you, the eternal, immortal, invisible creator, ruler, and sustainer of all things, that you would come and be with us as we bow down in worship to you, that we might enjoy fellowship with you, that the Spirit might be working amongst us through the means of grace, that you would come and be amongst your sheep for you. You truly are our great shepherd, and you care for us, and we are excited to be in your house in your presence, oh Lord, may we glorify you in all that we do, and may we benefit from your means of grace and being in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let us put our voices together as we sing our hymn of adoration, Rejoice, Ye Pure in Heart, you'll find on page 7.
Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, how, how amazing it is we think about that. With the angel choirs, with the saints on earth, we think about the way that uh, God's uh, glorious might uh, through the work of the Spirit, uh, that there is a, uh, a way in which we are getting a taste of heaven here, and yet at the same time we are enjoying this connection uh, in our worship uh, between uh, here, this temporal realm, and the, and the heavenly one in which the angelic host and the, earth, uh, the uh, church triumphant is, is praising the Lord right now, even as we are, as we all enjoy fellowship with Him. How wonderful. Well, I hope that turns our hearts now to uh, the opportunity to come by faith and confess our sins as we anticipate hearing from the Lord and His assurance of pardon. So let us together aloud confess our sins as we pray. Almighty God, we confess that we have sinned against You in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved You with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. But Lord, you are full of compassion, slow to anger and gracious. Therefore, restore to us the joy of your salvation. Bind up that which is broken. Give light to our minds, strength to our wills, and rest to our souls. Let your word abide with us until it is wrought in us your holy will. Amen. As we prayed together our confession of sin by faith, here now by faith, the Lord's assurance of pardon from His Word, this promise of His forgiveness as we read in Micah chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of His inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Amen. Well, as we... We hear that, uh, that promise of, of forgiveness. We hear of the, uh, the days of old. We have the opportunity now uh, to put our voices together uh, with our forefathers as we confess our faith using the Nicene Creed. So what is it? What is it that you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, 
not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day He rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And He shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. As you remain seated, let's respond by singing the Gloria Patri. continue to worship. Our Heavenly Father, You are good and gracious, and You give to us all good things. We are thankful for the blessings that we have received from You, the, the, the time and treasure and talents that You have entrusted to us that we might steward over these things to the glory of Your name. So we ask that You would help us to do that. And even in, in this morning as we come, perhaps as we've come already online or, uh, or at different times, but this morning in particular, Lord, as we come and give, we give back to you just a little of what you've given to us. May we come not under compulsion, may we come not under the wrong motives, but may we come with hearts that rejoice with thanksgiving and all that you have done for us, particularly the grace that you've poured out upon us in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.
Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. I'll lead us in prayer and then invite us all to come together and conclude our season of prayer, uh, praying as Jesus has taught us. Let's pray. Almighty and glorious triune God, our merciful heavenly Father, we again echo our prayer from just now, thanking you that you are the giver of good and wonderful gifts to your people. And these gifts are beyond our finite comprehension. They're not just gifts that are temporal, but spiritual as well. And we pray this morning that you might give us all of those who are in need new, pure hearts. And for all those who, who you've already given this gift, we ask that you would refresh our hearts and that they would overflow in love for you. That, Lord, we would be those whose hearts would be fixed upon Christ and Christ alone. We would not be like the double-minded man who is attempting to live in two worlds, but that our desires would be completely for you. We pray this morning for the mission of the church, both here at Christ Church and your church worldwide. Lord, we pray that you would save the lost, for it is clear in your word that you love to save sinners. We pray that you would bring every person to faith in Christ that you have appointed unto this. Lord, we have established throughout your church to proclaim the gospel in power, the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit might be going forth and reaping a great harvest, and that we might see the the work of the Spirit not only and the gathering in and the justifying and redeeming of the saints, but in the equipping and building up of them as well through the means of grace. Oh Lord, we pray for a mighty revival. We pray for reformation to come to our land and the church throughout the world, a reformation that would point us back to your scriptures and that we might then seek to open them and understand and do all things as you have told us. But Lord, we pray, especially for this revival and and this reformation to come to to our community, to Northwest Knox, to Knoxville and Powell, and to, to East Tennessee, and that you would be kind in using us, giving us the honor and the privilege to go forth as witnesses of Christ, as ambassadors for our King, that we that we would be used for such a wondrous thing. That through our efforts, we might see the, the Holy Spirit bringing to life dead sinners. Oh, Lord, make disciples. Make disciples and sanctify them. Conform them to the image of Christ. And let us not be a people that, that love the world or the things of this world but we ask that you would help us to seek first your kingdom in all things. And Lord, we pray for, for the needs of your people, particularly here at Christ Church, though we do lift up all of the brethren around the world, 
But we pray for our brothers and sisters here at Christ Church. We pray for those whom you bring and visit, those who, who watch online. Lord, you are the great physician. And we ask that you would heal all who are suffering, whether they may be suffering physically or spiritually. We pray that you would be at work, that you would be our rock and fortress, our shield and strong tower, our deliverer and refuge and our comfort. And Lord, we especially pray for our sister in Christ who is recovering in the hospital even this morning. We ask that you would give wisdom to the doctors and the nurses. We ask that you would use the, the treatments and the surgeries and the medicines. We ask that you would even step beyond that and bring healing and comfort by your supernatural sovereign power. And we pray that our, our dear sister would be a witness to her Savior in the midst of this, and that you would not only allow her to, to be a sweet aroma of Christ in that hospital room, and that hospital floor, but that you would use, even use this challenging, hard time to grow her faith and deepen her relationship with you. Lord, we pray for, for those among us who are traveling and are not here. Keep them safe while they are away. Bring them back that we might enjoy coming together next Lord's Day, the Lord's Days ahead, gathering all of the folks, all of your people, that we might confess together, sing together, that we might hear the reading and preaching of your word together, and we might rejoice in the unity of Christ that we enjoy. Lord, we pray for the civil magistrate, you tell us in your word that their hearts are in your hand and you turn them like a stream. So we ask that you might cause our civil leaders, as you turn their hearts, to do your will to your glory. And that as you do this, that, that we might be given the opportunity, even as we read in your word the prayer, we make the prayer that we might be able to live peaceful, quiet lives as faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ as salt and light in our communities. And that that would be the blessing that we would enjoy. Lord, we look forward to coming back together this evening, worshiping you again. But until we gather for prayer later, we pray together as we've been taught. Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We believe that the Bible is God's Word, and we are thankful for it. And we are going to enjoy a short season of our continual reading now, as we begin with our Old Testament continuous reading in the book of Numbers. As we begin to come towards the end of that book, we are in chapter 22, 
Uh, we're going to be reading of, uh, of God's uh, old covenant people approaching uh, the promised land. They're, they're coming towards the, the Jordan River, and it is King Balak of Moab who has reached out to uh, the sorcerer Balaam and is seeking to pay him that he might come and curse God's people before they enter the promised land. We'll be reading the first 21 verses. This is God's word, Numbers 22. Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab before the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel, and Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at, at Peshawar, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes at Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Once again, Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor. Whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse this people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning, and he saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. We turn to our, our New Testament continuous reading. We are in the book of Romans. We are in Romans 14. Romans 14, we, we read in chapter 14 of, of how God uh, explains to his people uh, how they're to exercise Christian liberty and, and charity towards one another and things uh, that are indifferent. They might not be those who pass uh, judgment uh, on each other. This is God's word, Romans chapter 14, 
as we begin our reading in verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love, but what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Not from faith, but whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. 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 Well, having heard from God as we read his word, let's now sing his word to him and praises even as we minister to one another. We'll be singing Psalm 45. You'll find there on page 9 in your order of service. I invite you to stand if you're able as we all sing together.
Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, what a joy it is to be able to, uh, to sing great hymns and the psalms and spiritual songs of, of the church, even as we, we sang of God's justice. Uh, this evening we'll be looking at divine justice, and, and uh, this morning as we ended our song singing uh, together of Christ the King, uh, that it is worth forsaking uh, the world and all things for Him. What a glorious, wonderful truth that is that we confess uh, together. Well, let us pray as we turn our attention uh, to God's Word together uh, this morning. Let's, let's go to our, our Lord and ask for His help. Dear Heavenly Father, You are the one true and living God. And we come now asking that You would would let the words of your servant and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight as we hear the reading and preaching of your word, as we anticipate the mighty work of the Spirit amongst us. Oh, Lord, do this for your glory and the benefit of your people. This we pray in the name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'll turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, we're we're looking at verse 8 as we're continuing to move through uh, the Beatitudes. Um, We are in a a short season, uh, perhaps maybe long, depending on on what uh, God's providence works out and what His will is as we work our way through chapters 5 to 7, give or take, uh, as we look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We're in the beginnings of this sermon Uh, Looking at the Beatitudes, as I mentioned, we're focusing in on verse 8, this one Beatitude in particular, but uh, though we can focus on one and spend time in it, we don't want to separate that one Beatitude from the whole. So uh, I'll read it all for some context, and then we'll come back again and read verse 8 to remind us of what it is we are reading uh, this morning. This is God's Word. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this morning we'll be spending our time... Again, looking at particularly the one beatitude in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. We're living, it seems, in a, in a season, as it were. Uh, uh, there are some... We are sowing what's been reaped in our culture for the last few generations, and, and we now have a generation that's seeking to uh, tear down almost anything it comes across. Uh, There seems to be a a great rejection of anything, a recoiling in our own country and in the West at anything that 
that might smack of the idea of being uh, traditional, uh, the ancient paths as we might refer to these things, uh, anything that would be uh, set up and said this is a standard of good and goodness and should be followed, uh, a pointing in a direction that might say this is the pure and good way that things should be done. And, and sadly, we're living in the chaos of the rejection of this, as, as many uh, seem to be embracing uh, a, an incorrect idea uh, that we somehow live in a world where there can be billions of different realities all functioning at the same time. Now, I hope we can agree uh, that there is an aspect uh, that we wouldn't just wholeheartedly receive the traditions of men and just say, just because uh, our forefathers and our foremothers and those who went before us, just because they did things or set things up, that that automatically means it's good. I mean, I hope we can see even in the church that reality. We look at uh, traditions that have risen up in different branches of the church, and, and we even, by God's grace, look back to the Reformation and see that it was, it was the, the site of incorrect traditions being raised up that were then, as it were, cast aside as the reformers looked back to God's Word, back to the Scriptures, and said, God, how is it that you would have us to live, to worship, to do all of the things that you have called us uh, to do? So it's not that we want to, to completely uh, abandon the idea uh, that there are times when things need to be discarded, but that's not quite what we're living in. I think the wisdom of God we read in Jeremiah 6.16 6, can help us here perhaps remind us. We read, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. Another touch on what life is like right now. We look to the Scriptures. The Lord is saying, Walk these ancient paths that I have given you. We have great examples in church history of those who have, as Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And we had that same opportunity. And yet, sadly, often we hear exactly what was at the end of that verse. Walk in it. These ancient paths he speaks of, he's talking about God's ways, God's word, uh, the scriptures. Those are the ancient paths. Uh, they're not traditions of, of men and women. It is God's word uh, that we look to. And I think the greatest example of this ancient path that's been laid out for us is uh, the gospel itself. Uh, the greatest of the ancient paths that we can walk by God's grace. But there are many other aspects here that we see these ancient paths. And one that I think helps us in, in a little bit of an uh, opening illustration to bring us into our verse this morning uh, is this ancient path uh, of, of marriage that's been cast aside and our culture uh, has said we will not walk in it. Now, sin causes sad and tragic situations that destroy God's way. We live this side of Eden and this side of, of glory as well. So there is aspects that we understand, uh, sadly, that sin has destroyed these ancient paths or, or for some folks have caused them uh, to be destroyed. And yet, just because that happens doesn't mean that we want to uh, abandon the ancient past that God has given to us, or to think that we might be able to stand up and say, God, no, you are wrong. We're creating new paths, new paths that we will walk. 
Now, this ancient path of, of marriage, we, we see uh, God's wisdom from the beginning to the end as he brings one uh, Christian biological man, one Christian biological woman together as one flesh, this union in marriage, and, and marriage is important. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we started our, our marriage small group so that couples could come together and spend the next year working through these things prayerfully, growing in their faith, growing in their marriage. By God's grace, marriage is a, a norm, a marriage that when God gives the gift of children, families grow. That is normal. It has been for thousands of years. It is the ancient path that God has given us in these things when the Lord causes a man and a woman to give one another to each other and then to grow in fellowship for the rest of their lives as they love and respect one another, as they selflessly live by God's grace for each other. That's when biblical marriage is wonderful and glorious, and it's worth it. It's worth all the difficulties and trials and hardships that come for husbands and wives when the Lord works in this way. I know not all of us are married, but we all know folks who are married at least. So we have that, that touch on that experience. We understand those things. And we look to the Scriptures, we're told that, that marriage is a picture of the gospel. The church, one of the ways the church is described is as the bride, the bride that the Father gives to the Son. So we see some connections there. And then and I hope, as I just mentioned there, there's that aspect in, in, in the marriage of one man, one woman, as they come together in one flesh, God brings them together. There's a, a giving of one another to each other, and there's a fellowship that results in that. And as we look at our verse this morning, this beatitude in verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's also another kind of giving and fellowship that happened in the short little verse that, that changes all of life. So what I want us to think about, what I want you to, to see is that, that God must give you a new pure heart to enjoy fellowship with Him forever. God must give you a new pure heart to enjoy fellowship with Him forever. The gift is from God, and the fellowship is with Him. So we're going to look at a God-given heart and a God-given fellowship for the next few moments that we have together. A God-given heart. When we read through the Scriptures, if you've had the opportunity to, or if you will be reading through the Scriptures in the future, notice something. God is very concerned with your heart. You can see it from the, even the, the, the misunderstandings or the, the bad rap that people throw on the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, still gets it wrong. You read all through the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, into the New Testament, New Covenant, you read from Genesis to Revelation, and you see that God is not okay with external realities or actions. He's not okay with us putting on a show. He, he's not cool with hypocrites that put on a mask. That's not what God's okay with. We see, in fact, Jesus' confrontation of the Pharisees, who the Pharisees cared not for their heart, cared and worried not, at least some of them, were not concerned about their heart condition in relationship with the Lord, but it was all about the externalities. Were they checking the box? What did they look like to everyone else? What did they look like to themselves through their own actions? They flipped the gospel upside down, as so many people do, and they made it all about moralism and doing of things, and they put the cart before the horse so that those actions were not the fruit of salvation, but instead what it became 
is their salvation. As they thought they could stand before God and look, God, look how, look how good I am. I mean, you see that, right? I'm probably your best. And that's kind of the attitude they had, blowing their trumpets and horns before they entered into the temple to give of their, their offerings. They wanted everyone to hear their prayers, not because they were in worship with God's people, but because they wanted to perform so that, as Jesus said, they would not receive praise from the Lord or recognition from the Lord, but from the people around them. And they, sadly, many of them, not coming to faith in Christ, got the only reward they would ever get, which was the supposed esteem of those around them. But God is concerned with your heart. Don't ever forget that. God is concerned with your heart. That's why in our marriage study, we're focusing on heart issues between a husband and a wife. That's why when we talk about parenting, we talk about heart issues with a child. It's not just training a child like you would a, an animal. That's an image bearer of God, and we want to deal with their heart and make connections to their heart. And by God's grace, to, to, to come and, and introduce them to our glorious Savior that their heart might be fixed to His. I don't, I don't know if this is an urban legend. Long ago when I was in high school, and children, I know that was so long ago. But just bear with me. Imagine life before 20 years ago. I heard this story, and I don't know if it's true, but this is the story I heard. This guy in, in, my, in my high school, um, I can't remember if his father owned a dealership, car dealership, or his father ran the car dealership. But he said, you know, this, there was this, um, this international car company a uh, foreign car maker that, that was bringing in cars. They were starting to really take off in, in the United States back when I was little. Uh, they were really starting to get a, a hold. They had a sports car that everybody wanted. I mean, it was huge. And so this, this company brought all of their top salesmen, their, their dealer owners, they brought them all together for this big banquet that was at the port where these cars were being unloaded from the ships because they're made overseas. They eat, they do all this. They bring forward a car, and everyone noticed this is the car that everybody wants. And, and they notice there's a big scratch down the side. They're like, what's going on? And then the, the foreign folks who, who run this company get up, and they say, um, you see this car? There's a scratch on it. It got scratched while it was on the boat on its way over here. This car is no longer perfect. This is not a, this is not a pure car. It's a defected car. It's imperfect. Now, we could... We could buff that out and try to fix it. That's not what we do. And that's not what we want from you. Don't cut corners. In fact, we're going to take this car and crush it. No one will ever have that car. And of course, what they were trying to do is they were trying to make the point. Don't settle for less. Don't cut corners when you're selling cars and taking care of people. We've got to, to, to be at the best of our ability. We only sell pure, perfect cars. And that was the image they were putting forth. So whether it's urban folklore and legend or early happened, I hope you're, perhaps it will help as we look at this. Because we have a question here. We, we, we read this, blessed are the pure in heart. But what is it when you hear that? What do you think of pure? When you hear blessed are the pure in heart, what does pure in heart mean to you? What do you think of? Do you think of people who've, who've created a Christian ghetto and separated themselves from the world and have nothing to do with it so that, so that their garments might not brush up against the, the impure and wicked that are around them? Uh, a, 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 a pushing away, as it were, and a separation 
far beyond what God does spiritually in separating us as holy. When you think of purity, is purity all about actions? Or do we see what Jesus is talking about? What Jesus is pointing to? Again, I remind you of the interactions they had with the Pharisees in the Gospels as he was trying to make it clear to them, yes, I care about what you do, but that's not where it starts. That's the, that's the fruit that comes out of your heart. I am first and foremost concerned about your heart. What is it that you love? Trust. What is your sole focus of your entire being upon? What are you worshiping, living for? What gets you up in the morning and keeps you going throughout the day and is the last thing you think about when you fall asleep? The Lord is focused on our heart. God cares about your heart. See a few places that we can see this so that you don't think that I'm just pulling this out of thin air. We, we turn back to Deuteronomy 10, 16. Now you think, Deuteronomy, if there's anywhere where we see works righteousness being put forth, if there's anywhere where we're going to see this, where God says, do this to be saved, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, what is it that God says? Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Your heart. That's the imagery he's speaking of, of, of faith, repentance, justification, faith in the Lord. We turn from Deuteronomy to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, a wonderful book that helps us understand wisdom and how God would have us to live. But again, by these, these Proverbs, then, then God will have to love me as they put the cart before the horse. But Proverbs 4, verse 23, what is it that God writes? He tells us, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the spring of life. Heart's a pretty big deal if the spring of life is flowing from it. And then we turn to Psalm uh, 24, the last one we'll read in this section right now. Psalm 24, begin in uh, verse 3. We talk about this often when we're about to hear the, the call to worship. I, I mention it, or when I pray after our call to worship, I, I mention this, and this is where it's drawing from, Psalm 24, starting in verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seeks him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Selah. That's that great question. Everyone's really asking whether they say it out loud or not, but, but it's how might I be right with my creator? That's what he's saying. When he says, who shall ascend the mount of the Lord? Who is it that can come into the presence of God? Well, it's only those with pure heart. And we only get a pure heart when that new pure heart is given to us because we're born with impure, dead, sinful hearts. But it is the Holy Spirit, as we read in the Old Testament, 
who by God's grace gives us these new hearts, these pure hearts that we get through justification and sanctification. So there's the aspect of justification where God saves us and, and justifies us and gives us a new heart and, 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 and sanctifies and sets aside. And then the rest of our life, God is working in sanctification through the means of grace, word, prayer, and sacrament as he's refreshing and purifying our heart to his glory and our benefit. It is when we have impure hearts that we have the overflowing of anger, bitterness, worry, fear, discouragement, lust, covetousness, rebellion, go on and on and on. These things, the wellspring of an impure dead heart are these things. Those are the things that naturally flow out of the dead heart. But it's the opposite for the pure heart that God has, has given life to. And we praise God for that gift. Truly. When, if we miss that, we miss everything. If we miss the reality that God gives the pure heart, then we miss the gospel and what it is that God is doing. For salvation is by grace through, grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a powerful salvation. For God is powerful and almighty God. This pure heart that happens, that's one of the things, reasons why we can, we can uh, bring the gospel witness to anyone. Anyone. Trusting that, that God can save anyone. That's why, dear saint, if you find yourself even in a situation like King David, where you sin beyond comprehension, you might still flee to Christ for grace and forgiveness. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we read verse 9 to 11, we see this picture of the beauty of grace and the new heart that is given. So we, we begin there in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Praise the Lord, that new heart that he gives. The Lord saved me, as I mentioned several times, living in a fraternity house. And if you knew me before God saved me, you probably, potentially, might have been one of those folks that said, well, you know, there are those people that I don't know if God could save. God gives new hearts. That's what we see in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And such were some of you. God's saying, that was you. When you had the dead heart, the impure heart, that was you. Not anymore. By my grace, I've given you a new, pure heart. And as we're going to see in just a moment, that new, pure heart, which allows us to see God and enjoy fellowship with Him. So pray and plead with God for this pure heart. If you're not in Christ, cry out for forgiveness. And if you are, cry out that the Lord would be merciful and gracious and grow you in love for Him. And pursue these things. It is the Spirit who's working, but we also have this, there, there, there's just this paradox and this dichotomy that, that we're called to pursue these things as well through the means of grace. Word, prayer, sacrament, gathering together for corporate worship. That's what God has been doing, the ancient paths He's been using for thousands and thousands of years. 
Might we not be arrogant enough to think that we need to reinvent what God has delivered to his church? God is the sole primary and complete focus of his people's hearts. Being pure in heart means leaving behind the impure ways of the world. We won't read much, but in 1 Kings chapter 18, there's this great smackdown as God decimates the prophets of Baal through Elijah. And God through Elijah mocks these, these prophets of this false god, these false demonic god. But just a little bit here to get a picture of what's going on at this time. Uh, we start in verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then he goes on, Elijah says, I'm the only prophet left. There's 450 prophets of Baal here. And he calls them out. He points them to the ancient paths, to the truth. And he says, stop it. Stop trying to follow Yahweh and Baal at the same time. Get your feet out of both places. Put your heart fixed on the Lord. Follow him with a pure heart. Cry out and ask for his forgiveness. Now, we don't want to miss this. This isn't a call... This isn't a rah-rah speech to man up, woman up, and storm the world. And to get rid of all those horribly impure things, that's not what we're saying. Actually, it's the opposite. What I'm pleading with all of us is that we would not try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but that instead we would fling ourselves before the feet of Christ, our King, our Savior, and cry out and beg Him for mercy and grace. He would care for us. Humanity was created to worship God and, and to have the sole focus on Him and to fellowship with Him. And I can testify to the beginning part of my life, and I know many of you can who are either here or, or listening. There is nothing else that satisfies. That is what God created us for, and everything else falls incredibly short. There's a moment where it, you fool yourself into thinking it might. But it is so fleeting. And it is worse than any sugar high when you crash. A God-given heart. In just a few moments, a few remaining moments we have, we'll look at a God-given fellowship. God's covenantal promise we see throughout the Scriptures where God says, I will be your God. You will be my people. And then what does He say? And I will dwell with you. That's the promise. That's the promise God is to be glorified and enjoyed forever by His people in His presence. And we see, we're told about the fulfillment of that very promise, that very covenantal theme that goes throughout all the Scriptures in Revelation 22. Right at the end of the Scriptures, God, He gives us a glimpse of how it's fulfilled. Chapter 22, we begin in, in, in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, 
but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And then we go down to the end. The end of the chapter, the end of the Scriptures. We come to verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's our prayer. That's our cry. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. What is it that we we see here? What is it that God gives us a glimpse of? It's the fulfillment of this very promise throughout the Scriptures that we see. We see here in the the Beatitude in verse 8, we will see God. We will look at God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, in the face and be in His presence. We will enjoy the presence of the Father and the Spirit, but they are spirit. We won't see them, but we will see We will see Jesus Christ, and we will be in His presence. What a glorious future we have. How amazing that our Creator, the ruler and sustainer of this very universe, cares so deeply about us that we will be in His very presence forever. Now, there's a... There's a reason why our, our, when we have our mission statement, you know, Christ Church mission is to glorify and enjoy God as we gather, grow, and go. And there's a reason why we, we have our purpose in there, glorifying and enjoying God. And a lot of us can agree with glorifying. Yes, that makes total sense, but, but I wonder how many of us are hung up on enjoying. And maybe you get tired of me asking the question, it's like, are, are you enjoying God? Do you enjoy God? I pray, I hope we're all praying that we enjoy God. And there's aspects of that. Sinclair Ferguson, uh, he writes about, and I'll, I'll grab just a few sentences here. Uh, he writes about the, the ways in which we might enjoy God. In fact, he gives four ways here that are common for us as Christians. So Dr. Ferguson writes, Enjoying God is a command, not an optional extra. As we read in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always again. I'll say rejoice. But how? We cannot rejoice to order, can we? And then Ferguson gives four ways, and I'm just going to touch on these. Four ways in which you, dear saint, might enjoy God. Joy in salvation. Enjoying God's means, relishing the salvation he gives us in Jesus Christ. So we read in Habakkuk 3.18, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Because as we read in Luke chapter 15 and several places in that chapter, God takes joy in our salvation. You go to Zephaniah and it says that, that God sings and dances over you. That's the love he has for you, dear saint. Zephaniah is in the Old Testament. God is consistent. He loves his people. And we find joy in the salvation he gives us. And then there's joy in revelation. Joy issues from devouring inscripturated revelation, the Bible. Psalm 119 bears repeated witness to this great truth. Over and over again, you read that the psalmist delights, delights in God's word, delights in God's law, delights in the giver of the word. And in God's testimonies as much in all 
riches. Then there's a joy in communion. A joy in communion. There's joy in the Lord to be tasted in the worship we enjoy in church communion. The church is the new Jerusalem, the city that cannot be hidden. The joy of the whole earth, as you read in Psalm 42. In the Spirit-led communion of praise and petition, soul-pastoring, word-preaching, psalm, hymn, and spiritual song, singing, and water, bread, and wine-receiving, abundant joy is to be found. And I mentioned already this Zephaniah chapter 3, the Lord sings over us with joy. How can our hearts not sing in response and joy to the Lord for that fellowship and communion that we and the last one, he says, joy in tribulation. And this indeed is a divine paradox. There is joy to be known in the midst of and through affliction. Viewed biblically, tribulation is the Father's chastising hand, using life's pain and darkness to mold us into the image of the one who endured for the sake of the joy set before him. As you read in Hebrews 12 and, and Romans 8. Dr. Ferguson, being from Scotland, will we'll stay with the UK and uh, read a few sentences from the pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones, the Lord used such a mighty way in England. Lloyd-Jones uh, rejoices also in this great truth that everyone uh, trusting in Christ for salvation will be in the Lord's presence face-to-face forever. Even as we read here, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's what Jesus says. So Lord John, he writes, you are going to see God. Do you not agree that this is the biggest, the most momentous, the most tremendous thing that you can ever be told? Is it your supreme object, desire, and ambition to see God? If it is, and if you believe this gospel, you must agree with John. As he writes, every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. The time is short. You and I have not long to prepare. The great reception is at hand. In a sense, the the ceremony is already prepared. You and I are waiting for the audience with the king. Are you looking forward to it? Are you preparing yourself for it? Don't you feel ashamed at this moment that you're, that you're wasting your time on things that not only will be of no value to you on that great occasion, but sometimes even which you will be ashamed of at that occasion. You and I, creatures of time as we appear to be, are going to see God and bask in His eternal glory forever and ever. Our one confidence is that He is working in us and preparing us for that. But let us also work and purify ourselves even as He is pure. Amen. God must give you a new pure heart to enjoy fellowship with Him forever, dear saints. Let's pray. Eternal and ever-blessed God, our glorious Lord, let not Your Word and Your Gospel come to us only in hearing this morning, but bring it to us and the effectual power of the Spirit that we may experience salvation, that we may see the saving of others, that we may experience sanctification, and that you might give us 
full assurance of all this work. Oh, Lord, give us hearts that desire above all else to be fixed upon you. Oh, Lord, how glorious the truth is that we will see you and be with you and fellowship with you for all eternity. Thank you for such a gift that we do not deserve. Oh, Lord, we pray in the, in the mighty and righteous name of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, let us respond to the reading and preaching of God's Word this morning. As we stand together, as we are able, as we all sing, O Church Arise, found on pages 10 and 11, in our order of service. So let us sing to the Lord. Amen. Here now the Lord's blessing is benediction for his people. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever.